Good morning, church. How you guys feeling today? This morning, uh, we're kicking off this sermon series this morning, and we are excited about it. Um, but we're also prayerful about it because uh, this is a subject that a lot of people tippy-toe around. And it's a delicate subject, and I, I want to be appropriate about this subject. And I don't want to offend this morning, but I want to tell the truth. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to do my best to practice what Jesus practices when he does a great, he's a perfect blend of grace and truth, right? Not too much grace, not too much truth. And so what we're going to do is we're going to try to kind of cover it with truth and put a little bit of grace over it and package it. Hopefully at the end of the day, you would walk out of here empowered according to the word of God and empowered in your life, um, whether you are living single. Amen. Where the single is at? All right. It, don't, be, don't be ashamed of that. Some of you are like, oh. come. And whether, how about married couples? Mm. All right. That's amazing. And so uh, I want to start off this morning by sharing a little bit of my story. So if you'll, if you'll just kind of pardon me for a minute um, while I share a little bit. When I was 11 years old and in the sixth grade, um, I remember a time I was in a, I was playing basketball for my elementary school and we had a basketball tournament. And in between games at this basketball tournament, my friends and I decided to visit um, a flea market that was being held in the same parking lot of the school that was holding the tournament. And I remember as we were walking around, I noticed that my friends were lagging behind me and uh, they were beginning to laugh and giggle really loud. And so uh, when I turned around to kind of see why they had stopped and what was so funny, um, out dropped a centerfold magazine of a naked woman. And I was terrified. I was terrified, so terrified that I literally turned the other way and power walked back into the gym to play basketball. And um, it's really interesting as I think back about that day, um, I think that the, my reaction and my friend's reaction uh, were really telling. Because here you have a group of kind of 10 and 11-year-olds in sixth grade, and it's telling that I was terrified. But it was also telling that they were kind of okay and laughing and giggling around that. Fast forward a couple of years later, maybe a year or so later, and I, it might have been around, I was about 12 or 13 years old, somewhere in the seventh grade. What a difference a year makes. And... Um, I remember I used to play football on the side of the street of my house. And um, that side street, fellas, you know, we all have our sandlot. We have that place where we go and we play football. We play baseball. And that was kind of the stadium of my neighborhood. Um, and we would always play football on that side street. And one day I remember playing catch with a friend, um, when we were playing catch, uh, the football kind of flew over my head and it kind of rolled into the bushes on the side of the street. And I remember going up to the bush to pick up the football and as I bent down, I noticed a crunched up magazine. Y'all know what that was, right? And in that crunched up magazine, there again, I saw a naked woman. And, um, but this time, instead of being terrified, I was intrigued. 
And uh, so I spent the next 30 seconds probably pretending like to tie my shoes or something. My friend was probably like, get the football. Uh, and I spent the next 30 seconds acting like maybe I was looking for the football. And um, that magazine cover, that had captivated me. And, um, and in fact, I remember uh, going to bed that night and I remember making a plan to play football for the next couple of days. And I remember in that plan, I was going to kind of accidentally maybe throw the ball over there and it was hopefully going to roll out to a particular area. And there I was going to inspect and discover the magazine that had been there already. And if you could imagine, I was probably out there by myself playing a couple of times. My parents probably thinking, man, why is he playing football by, you know, he's having a great time. Oh, oh, look, there he goes, you know. And then, you know, kick it a little bit, it goes a little further. And ultimately, you know, created this master plan uh, to revisit the side of the house a couple of extra times. And, of course, that prolonged for a couple of days. But finally, maybe some good Samaritan or some good citizen, I want to wish the best or hope the best, grabbed it and threw it away. Um, and so finally it was kind of, this, this kind of repeated itself for a couple of days. And finally uh, it had, the magazine had disappeared. Now, here's the point that I want to make this morning. Um, I didn't find sex. It found me. I didn't find pornography. It found me. The truth is, is that in here this morning, there might be people in here today, and you're battling with some things. There might be some people in here today, and you might be battling with pornography. You might be battling with some kind of sexual angst or addiction. And it all started either with a personal violation or with an accidental discovery. Nobody wakes up as a child and thinks to themselves, man, I want to grow up to be a predator. Nobody wakes up as a child thinking, you know, I want to grow up and be addicted to this. This is not how God wired children. But many of you in here today can honestly say that even though I've, I have victimized people, I have been victimized by something I didn't ask for. And so something, a door was opened and I was introduced to something I wasn't ready to be introduced to. God never intended for me to be introduced to this and I was and the flesh inside of me started to partner with what was introduced and all of a sudden what was accidental became, I was intrigued and it became a process in discovery. And here we have it. Some of us, our marriages are suffering. Our singleness is suffering, we're confused, we're struggling with our integrity with the Lord, and this is what the church is full of. And the issue, the thing is, is that marriage is supposed to be a witness of the beauty of Christ in the church, and in our churches, our marriages look just like the world's, and we almost are actually on the same level in our divorce rates in the church. But before we go forward, can I just preach the gospel to you for a second? He, he, listen to the gospel. Christ offers a fresh start. This series is not about guilt. It's about healing. Amen? Grace never asks you to go back in time and undo what can't be undone. It calls you to trust Jesus as the one who is what you are not. The one who did what you could not and the one who will help you become what you could never become on your own. As we move forward this morning, I do not want to move forward in condemnation. I want to move forward in grace and healing. And I think this bears repeating. 
grace never asks you to go back in time and undo what you can't undo. It calls you to trust Jesus as the one who is what you are not, as the one who did what you could not, and as the one who will help you become what you could never become. Uh, this morning, I know Jeffrey kind of lightly touched on it, but this morning, um, we're going to open up our text lines. Um, and even if you're in service, I give you permission to text. Um, we're going to open up our text lines. Uh, and I don't know if you could kind of throw that up there. One Perfect. And um, what we want to do is we want to encourage you. And uh, again, this is going to be anonymous, and it's not going to go directly to me. I'm going to see who it is, and then I'm going to make my, and that's not going to happen. We want to open up your text lines, and you know, you could even write asking for a friend, okay? <laughs> and uh, we want to give you permission to text us a question, and next week we will start off um, uh, our sermon next week by taking some of the questions um, and um, what we feel are the most popular, the ones that were asked maybe the most, and we want to do our best next week to be able to kind of answer those. And, um, and do it in kind of a godly way, and um, hopefully you'll plan to stay and be back. And so I just kind of wanted, I know we already announced that, but I just kind of want to reiterate that. And we'll keep the text line open through the entire week. And so maybe you want to write something down and then text it later this week, and that's totally okay. We'll probably post it on social media as well. And um, as things come in, um, we will kind of sift through that um, for next Sunday, okay? So I just kind of wanted to, um, I just kind of wanted to go over that. Um, with, with all due respect, um, even for my even for my wonderful and godly parents, uh, as I as I tell my testimony, I recognize there are some things that even my own mother and father may know or may not know. Um, uh, um, but with all due respect, even beyond that, this is the story needs to get out so that you can discover healing, um, and so that you can walk home today, maybe be encouraged and not discouraged, and know that if the pastor of the church went through that, then I can go through it too. Amen. Um, you know, and, and, and we'll laugh at this, but <laughs> I was the kid that never got the parent's signature to go to sex ed. Anybody else? <laughs> now, <laughs> seatbelt mom. Only my mom's got to put her seatbelt on. I made a note, call mom and let her know, and I totally forgot. So mom, I'm calling you now. Now, can I be honest with you guys? In sixth grade, who cares? Nobody, there's about 10 of you, right? And you're like, ah, recess, you know, extra recess, right? And so you're going, you're shooting basketball, whatever it is that you're going to do while your friends go through whatever it is that they're going to go through during sex education. And so, you know, when you're in sixth grade, nobody cares. In fact, it's just another recess. But when you're 15 and you're a sophomore in high school and you're looking to gather cool points, being sent to the library during sex week in health is like not a really cool thing, which is why in sixth grade I wasn't scarred, mama, but my sophomore year I, I, we had to, I have a little scar there. I still wasn't allowed to hear the sex talk in health class, and I'm 15 years old. And it, when I was in sixth grade, there was about 12 of us playing basketball. When I'm 15, I'm the only guy in the library. Now, thank God I have a lot of confidence in myself, and I was able to get over that, but that could have killed me. <laughs> I get why they did what they did. I do. 
Um, we can't trust the system to educate our children. But here's the point. When the church, and I said this in my opening, is silent about the subject, when the church's answer is no, why? Because God said so, that's it. We inadvertently empowered the culture to become the experts because every other institution in the world is virtually saying yes. The price of silence, and parents, please hear me. Please allow the Holy Spirit to discomfort you to speak to your young, your children. The price of silence on the subject of sex equals victimized children, confused single adult, and hurt marriages. And you know, some of us, maybe we come from a, a culture that doesn't talk about things. Some of us come from those cultures. And we have somehow ingrained in ourselves that we shouldn't, talk, we shouldn't pass this on to our children, and your children are suffering. And so married couples, and especially those with young boys and young girls, this has to be circled on your calendar. Fathers, you talk to your sons. And mothers, you talk to your daughters. This has to be circled on your calendar. The price of silence is too costly. And with that being said, we're gonna, this is going to be a two-parter, and so I really hope that you come back. Because we're going to spend the whole month in this, but we're specifically going to stay on this topic of sex for two Sundays. Um, and uh, with that being said, I, I think I want you to really get this big idea. Are you guys ready for this big idea? Here it is. Sex is God's idea. Wait, what? Sex is God's idea. You know, when we talk about it, it's not like God says, oh, don't, don't say that. Don't talk about it. And can I say something that's going to sound a little awkward? It's not like God turns his head around when we're having sex. It's like, oh, my gosh. I'm sovereign over everything, but right now I'm just going to block this out. I'm going to turn around, and I'm just going to totally, you know, this is just, ugh. Just hurry up, get done with it, and then I'll turn back around, and we'll continue on with our lives. Are you ready for this? God loves sex. Thank you. God designed sex. How about that? And when we have sex in the way that God has designed it, he's actually a part of it. Now, I promise you this isn't a cult. By the end of this message, you'll understand what I'm saying. But these are some pretty provocative statements. Now, there's two points that I need to make before we kind of go further into God's design. Now, this is going to be a brief refresher. On these two points alone, I could probably spend a month just talking about. But I really want to get on and move on to what God has for us in this time. But I, I really need to give you two points. God's design, there are two things we need to understand. When it comes to God's design, there are two key things. Number one, we need to know God's will, which is God's design. And the second thing is Satan's work. God's will and Satan's work. So let me just give you a real brief refresher on God's will. I'm not going to do it justice, obviously, um, when it comes to sex. But here it is. If you go to Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to kind of put it up for you on the screen, verse 27. I'd like to read this to you and just kind of show you some things that Scripture has to say. Um, Genesis chapter 1, everything starts in the beginning God, right? In the beginning God. So in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, uh, Scripture reads like, reads like this. So God created man in his own image. 
and the image of God, he created him. Now listen, this is important. Male and female, he created them. I want you to know, men, that God's image isn't only found in the man. God's image is found when he created them both what? Male and female. That's really important. Here's what I want you to see in the very beginning of time. God sanctifies gender. He sanctifies gender distinction, and he sanctifies male and female. His image is seen in both man and woman. Now, if you go to the next verse, in verse 28, he says, and Scripture says, and then God blessed them, or God blesses them. Now, I want you to know what God's blessing is. God's blessing is his affirmation over something that is good. In fact, you'll find throughout the beginning of Genesis in the creation narrative, you'll find that after he creates, he will pronounce it, it is what? It's good. That is a blessing or an affirmation that what I designed was, in fact, good. And so not only does his image reflect both male and female, but then he blesses this by calling it good. And verse 28 says, and God blessed them, and God said to them, are you ready? Here's, here it is. Be fruitful and multiply. And then fill the earth and subdue it. So hear me out. God not only affirms the male-female gender distinction, but then he blesses this distinction. Now let me tell you something. Here's what he, he blesses this distinction, not only by calling it good, but he gives it the power to create. Did you know that after God created Adam and Eve, he, st he stopped creating man? And he stopped creating. This is what he did with male and female. He even does this in the animal kingdom. Here it is. The male and female distinction is affirmed and blessed by God because it is empowered to procreate. Are you with me? Now, if we skip down to, on the narrative, we go to the next chapter, Genesis chapter 2. And we're going to read 24 through 25. It reads like this. After... Adam falls into a deep sleep because, you know, Adam is a lonely. <laughs> he realizes that there are all these animals out there, but there's nothing for him. He falls into a deep sleep. In fact, the only time God says things aren't good is when he sees that Adam doesn't have somebody with him. And so when Adam goes to sleep, God then goes to work. And when he goes to work, Adam then, or God creates for Adam woman, and Adam calls her Eve. Are you ready? So chapter 2. Verse uh, 24 through 25 reads like this. Therefore, after, so after God creates Eve, brings it to Adam, it says, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is sex. He says, they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both na or were naked, and they were not ashamed. Now, I want you to see this. This is God's design for marriage and sex. One man, one woman, one marriage. And to put, it in, uh, to put it in terms, it's heterosexual monogamy. This is God's design for sex and sexuality. Are you with me? Now, this is God's will. Again, I could spend all day here, but I just want to go brief. Um, now, let's talk about Satan's work. And it's really simple. Satan's work is his perversion of God's goodness. Anything that God affirms and declares good, Satan is going to try and distort and perverts. His goal is to partner with our sin nature to entice us into interacting with God's creation in a way God never originally intended it to be. Are you with me? Satan's goal 
is to partner with our sin nature to entice God's creation to interact with creation in a way that God did not originally design that interaction to take place, okay? So if you want to think of it this way, Satan's work is his perversion. And if you spell that out, it's just Satan's version of what God had originally designed. And it's a distortion. So uh, I want to start by, I want to read you a quote. There's a book that's called Sex, Dating, and Relationships. A fresh approach. I want you to hear what the author says. The author says this. An approach to sexual purity that uses the fear of STDs, unwanted pregnancies, and emotional scars as a means of motivating singles to remain sexually pure is based upon the faulty assumption that God's commands exist solely for our own protection. Though it is true God's commands do often protect us from harm, not always. Scripture makes it quite clear that God's commands are not about what works best for us, but about what brings most glory to him. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to take it a little up a notch. And instead of talking about how sex in its wrong place can harm and hurt you, this morning we want to talk about how sex in the wrong place harms and hurts the glory of God. And so I want to focus this morning on three foundational pieces that will help us get a clear biblical vision of sexual purity centered in Christ. If we don't get these three things, our entire sexual ethic is built on sand. And so these things are this. If you're taking notes, here are the three things. Sex as worship. Sex as sacrifice and sex as witness. Sex as worship, sex as sacrifice, and finally, number three, sex as witness. Now, I know this sounds odd, but I can guarantee you they're not teaching this in health class. They're not teaching you this in health class. So let's begin. Sex as worship. I want you to know this, that sex finds its supreme value when it honors God. And when we honor God with our sexuality, we are practicing sex according to the way that God had originally intended and designed it to be practiced. Amen? Worship now, let me tell you something about worship. Worship is what flows out of you and I and into everything that we do. So let me explain. Um, Worship is first an identity and then secondarily an activity. It's first an identity and then secondarily an activity. So when I sing, when I serve on a Sunday morning serve team, um, when I eat... Or even when I have sex, when I do these things as unto the Lord, I'm participating in an act of worship. Now, Romans 11.36 tells us, from him, through him, and for him are all things. This means that every aspect of our being, every aspect of my being, every aspect of your being, including our sexual organs, were made to glorify God. Now, here's a warning. When I use my sexual organs in a way that does not bring glory to God, are you ready for this? I'm still participating in a kind of worship. The difference is is the subject of my worship. The act of sex is always an act of worship. Are you with me? We We either choose to worship the creation or the creator. 
in our sexuality. This is what Romans tells us, chapter 1. We either choose to worship the creation or the creator. We use sex as a way to gain pleasure for ourselves, or we use sex as a way to put our partner on a pedestal. And that is worshiping the creation and the act of sex. But when we worship the creator and the act of sex is when we participate in this act, the way that God had originally designed that participation to work. Amen? Now, can we take a small little discipleship detour right now? What is a sexual act? Um, I know a lot of people, because of our flesh, we try to justify some things. And we say, well, this is sex, but this is not sex. So can, I, can we just take a quick little detour? Because we can't afford to play ignorant when it comes to sexual activity. Listen up. So can we settle this once and for all? Yes? I'm going to say four words. I'm going to say four words here, some of which I might have to clarify. It might get a little awkward, but I feel like we need to hear this. Ready? Petting or touching, oral or intercourse are all sexual acts and thus are forms of worship. Say that again. Getting a little hot. Petting or touching. Oral or intercourse are all sexual acts and thus forms of worship. Now, I recognize there are some of us in here today that will still probably say, well, what, that, I can't, like, just rub my partner. Like, I just can't, like, you know, hey, I love you, you know, just what do you mean by petting? And I will say, I will say this, as a, a couple who is working towards marriage and as a couple that's wanting to love God wholly and purely, I want to tell you that sex is just not limited to intercourse. And so in our culture, in our world, especially in our Christian culture, we try to define the line as everything but intercourse. But I want you to know oral sex is a sexual activity. And if you're, having ex, if you're having oral sex outside of the boundaries of marriage, I want you to know that you're participating in sin. And when I say petting and touching, what I'm referring to is when you're petting or touching in an area that makes sexual arousal, you are participating in a sexual act. Mutual, mutual masturbation is participating in a sexual act. Are you with me? And some of you might be looking at me and say, why are you saying this in church? Well, that's the problem is we haven't been saying this. And that's why our sons and our daughters are towing the line. And here's what I want to say is if the parents were saying this, the church wouldn't have to. But unfortunately, we do live in a culture where the parents aren't saying much. And I get why you are. I'm not trying to beat up on you. There's, there's grace. But I want you to know is we have an enemy that wants to pervert our souls, that wants to take us outside of what God has called us. And he wants to pervert the witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he wants to destroy our lives. And if we don't wake up and if we don't begin to speak the truth in love, and if we don't begin to seek the truth in love, then we are going to continue to produce as a church a generation of sexual dysfunction. Amen. We can't afford to play ignorant when it comes to sexual activity. Let me tell you, if you are in a relationship right now and you are not married, all sexual activity needs to stop. It does. You're in sin. Amen. So number one, sex is a form of worship. You're either going to worship the creator by practicing the act according to you, its original intention, or you're going to worship the creation by practicing the design or practicing outside of God's design in a way that pleases self or pleases your partner. 
Number two, sex as sacrifice. Let me say this. Sex in its original design is not only worship unto God, but it's an act of mutual submission. I want you to know this. Sin is self-centered. Sin is self-centered. What does sin do? Sin limits life to me, my comfort, my feelings, my needs, my pleasure. This mentality, are you ready for this? It produces a culture of individuals who first objectify and then use. This is what sin does. It produces a culture of people who first learn to objectify and then use. Let me explain. In our culture... Unfortunately, there are tragedies of pornography in our culture and hookups in our culture. There's the porn culture and there's a hookup culture that we live in today. Now, let me explain to you about this idea of objectifying and then using. Number one, let's talk about porn. Porn reduces the person on the screen to an object. Porn reduces the person on the screen to an object. Once that person is objectified, we've now made it possible, are you ready, to use them to get what I want without having to offer them any type of mutual satisfaction. This is how pornography works. Similarly, the hookup culture, in kind of a little bit of a different way, but there's some similarities there, the hookup culture creates a way to enjoy all the pleasures of physical closeness without having to be accountable for any type of prolonged relational commitment. Is really important. If these issues remain unaddressed in our single life, our married life will suffer. Singles and married couples, here's an important point for you both. Our ultimate goal in sex is not self-pleasure, but to worship God. And when we worship God, you know what else we do? We serve our spouse. Worshiping God is a selfless act, not a selfish act. Say that our ultimate goal in sex is not self-pleasure, but worship unto the Lord. And we worship unto the Lord by ministering to our spouse. Again, ready for this? Sex is ministry. Some of you thought ministry was doing, the, hey, you're a part of the worship team? You're doing ministry. Right, you're on the greeting, the hospitality team, you're doing ministry, you're out there serving the streets, you're doing ministry in total. I want you to know, husbands and wives, when you have sex, you are ministering to one another. Amen. <laughs> and the baby said, thank you, mom and dad. Because that's a beautiful ministry that produced a wonderful thing. Sex is ministry. Again, this isn't a cult. Let me explain. And I'm going to explain by sharing the role of a husband since I'm a man. Ladies, just try. Please, and ladies, don't, don't be doing this. You know what I'm saying? And fellas, you'll be like, see, I told you it was a ministry. <laughs> Amen, Pastor Phil. Well, you know what? Go ahead and do that. You know what I mean? If it's been a while, say, you know what? This is a ministry, baby girl. Let's go. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. <sighs> I might get like Pastor Roger up in here for those of you who know Pastor Roger. I feel the Lord. I feel the Lord here today. Amen. Just breaking the ice. Now let me explain something to you. As a married couple, Jamila and I are called to esteem one another above ourselves. 
This means the marriage bed is a place of mutual submission. Are you with me? So when a married couple has sex, they're ministering to one another. Now, again, I want to speak as a man to the men. As husbands, we are called to lead our wives. I expected the guys to cheer. But you know me better than that because if you cheered, you knew I was going to come with something else. Smart men in the house. Now, please don't confuse the leadership of a man in Scripture to the male-dominated patriarchy that we see in our culture today. That's not what the Bible calls leadership. Biblical leadership for a husband is, well, biblical leadership overall is defined as service. And that service is defined as ministry. And as a husband, we're to lay our lives down for our wives as Christ laid his life down and served the church. Are you with me? Christ said, I didn't come to what? Be, sir, but I came to serve. He kneels low and he washes the feet of his disciples. So when we said men are called to lead, it's not, well, I'm going to lead you. Where I... Men are called to lead in humility and selfless sacrifice. So God's design prepares us for the ministry of marriage when we are single. I want you to see this. To all the single men and women in this room, the ability to die to yourself in your singleness and abstain from sexual activity will directly correlate with your ability to minister to your spouse while in marriage. You with me? If we allow Satan's perversion... The culture's definition to become the foundation by which we view and have sex. We are then cultivating a mentality that uses our spouse rather than ministers to them. This is going to be graphic. And I'm going to be brief with it. But here it is. As a man, and I only know this as a man because I'm a man. What the porn and hookup culture does is it denigrates the bodies of our wives to nothing more than a tool for our masturbation. Hear that, men? This is why I can't stress this enough. Your ministry to your future husband and your ministry to your future wife starts in your singleness. It starts right now in your singleness. It starts today. It starts saying, I don't care what you've done in the past. Your past cannot be undone. It starts now. It starts today. And there may be some married couples in here that could sit with you and say, please, let it start in your singleness because I can testify. I may not be very loud about it. I may not raise my hands behind closed door. I can testify that the marriage bed has struggled because the single bed was defiled. And that bedroom is not just the bedroom here. But Jesus says, if you even look at a woman, the marriage bed, it starts in your mind. This isn't a body issue, it's a heart issue. Come back next week and we're going to talk more about that. Finally, number three. We talked about sex as worship. We talked about sex as sacrifice. And number three, sex is a threefold witness. And this is probably the most important point. And I want to kind of invite a worship team up here, if you can come up here. Um, or just I want to invite the musicians to come up. Um, but this is probably uh, the most important point. And we're going to get through here in a moment. And we're going to pray. But um, sex as a threefold witness. Let me explain. First, number one, threefold witness. Here's the first witness. Number one, write this down if you can. If not, not a problem. But sex was created by God to serve as a living witness to the gospel. 
Sex was created by God to serve as a living witness to the gospel. When a man and a woman come together, scripture describes it as the two becoming one flesh. I want you to see this. God didn't create sex and then look at sex and say, oh man, that looks good. I'm going to make the gospel look like it. God created the gospel. The gospel before the foundations of the world, the lamb was slain. This was God's idea from the very beginning. So when he created sex, he designed it to look like the gospel. It's not like he created sex. Oh, wow, that looks like the gospel. The gospel looks like sex. No, he created sex to be a sign to point towards the gospel. The truth of the gospel is not simply that you and I have been forgiven. That's part of the gospel. But that's not the whole gospel. The truth of the gospel, the power of the gospel is that you and I have not only been forgiven, but we have been united with Christ. When you put your faith in Jesus, Scripture says you've been united with Christ. What does it mean to be united with Christ? In this unity, we share the nature of Christ. And his righteousness becomes our righteousness. And his life becomes our life. And when God looks down at us, he doesn't see our, our sin and our shame. But he sees the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And your judgment becomes his judgment. He took your guilt. He took your shame. And he took the sins of the world upon his shoulders. When you and I say yes to Jesus, we're not just being forgiven, but we are being united to or becoming one. Are you with me? When you're in your marriage bed and when you're on your honeymoon, what's beautiful about it is not that you're just pleasing each other. I've been holding out, baby, but let's go. What's beautiful about the marriage bed is that when you're interacting in the marriage bed for the first time together, the husband and wife, they're not only ministering to each other, but they're preaching the gospel to one another. And when you do it outside of God's original plan, you're not preaching a gospel of Jesus Christ. You're preaching another gospel to the one that you're with. You're preaching another gospel. You with me? When sex is practiced in its original design, heterosexual monogamy under the covenant of marriage, it testifies in its oneness and in its ability to bring new life. It testifies the glory of the gospel. And that when you and I said yes to Jesus, it was no longer my sin and his righteousness, but he came in and he took, uh, he took our pain and our sin and we gave it to him and we took on his righteousness. We were united in his nature. What a beautiful, lovely thing that when the father looks down at me, he doesn't see the mess that I am, but he sees the beauty of Jesus. And what a beautiful way that I can minister to my wife and, my, and you women can minister to your husbands in a selfless ministry to de demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ according to its original design. Second, sex was created by God to be a binding witness to marriage. You know, in the ancient world, the marriage was not binding by a license. Now, they didn't have a courthouse in the ancient world. Couples didn't go to the courthouse and get a license. They, it wasn't the ceremony in the ancient world that binded a marriage. It wasn't a minister or a pastor or a priest that bind the marriage. It wasn't a wedding. It wasn't a reception. In the eyes of the Lord, sexual intercourse consummated marriage. In the eyes of the Lord, when two people had sex, it meant they were married because they were being joined together. 
And I wonder, and a lot of preachers and theologians have brought this up, and we have wondered out loud, I wonder if some of our struggles in our current marriage is the result of the emotional and spiritual ties that came from previous marriages that we didn't know we were a part of. And before the Lord, we were interacting outside of God's design. And every time we were interacting in sex, we thought it was just sex because that's what the world told us. But to the Lord, it was marriage. And you were being joined together. And it wasn't just a physical act, even though it may have been one time or it may have been just because they were good looking or just it was convenient. But at the end of the day, even if it was one time you never met that person again, there was an emotional, spiritual deposit and exchange that took place. And we, we have this funny illustration, but the reality is and we carry it with us everywhere we go. And some of us want our partners to look like a partner that used to satisfy us. And here we are in our marriage and we don't want our wives or our husbands to do things that someone else used to do. And we have the audacity while my wife is trying to preach or my husband's trying to minister the gospel to me, we have the audacity to want them to minister another gospel to us. Some of us may need to get a few spiritual divorces. You know what I'm saying? We need to cut those ties off. We need to divorce from some of those people that are still there in your life. If you're single, sex outside of God's original design is emotionally destructive, men and women. If you're married, this is not the time to condemn your spouse. Remember, we're ministering the gospel to each other. This is not the time to condemn your spouse. Don't go home and make worse what the enemy has already tried to destroy. We, we need to preach truth, but don't go home and make worse what the enemy. Remember, the goal is not to be right. The goal is to be healed. And you need to minister to your spouse. If your spouse is struggling with pornography, you minister to them. And you walk through this. Spouse, you're struggling with it, be honest and be open. Let's, let's go to counseling. Let's sit and talk. I'd love to have a conversation and point you in the right direction. Are you with me? Now, if you're married, like I said, this is not the time to condemn your spouse. It is a time to pray for them and pray with them. It's time to become a safe place. Because if they can't be safe with you, they're not going to be safe with anybody else. And they're going to walk. And you know what's going to happen? Can I say something? You know what's going to happen is if we don't pr provide safety for one another, we're going to walk away in secrecy and in shadow. And we're going to live our lives in a very condemned and guilty place. Healing is never achieved through hounding. <laughs> hounding and healing doesn't work, right? Married couples remember this. A healthy marriage is a marriage. Now, for singles, a healthy singleness in the area of sex is a singleness that abstains from sexuality until they're married. And for marriage, it's the opposite, amen? Now, I want to minister to maybe some married couples in here that maybe you haven't been having sex. For one reason or another, tired, life gets busy. I want you to know that to not have an ongoing sex life is to neglect an area of ministry. It's to neglect an area of gospel. And it's to neglect an area of growth to with one another that you're missing out. And you know what? If a married couple isn't having sex, you know what? It comes like a roommate situation. It can get to that place. And I want you guys to know that as I'm doing this studying 
I want to be real with you guys as I'm reading through this and I'm looking through it. I'm getting, I'm getting convicted as a pastor and as a man. I'm getting convicted. Me and my wife sat down after doing a Sunday. We need to t- let's talk. Gosh, I want to minister to you. you know, I, please don't take this incorrectly. But there's just so much more of the beauty of marriage that could be missing out. Are you with me? So can I lower myself a little bit and share with you? I'm with you in this. Is married couple, we need to grow in this. And my singleness, I spent a long time addicted to pornography myself. I thought I had gotten over it and the Lord had took it away from me. But I just realizing that there's so much stuff that the Lord has to continue to clear out of me. I'm with you in this. I'm with you in this. healthy marriage is a marriage that continues to live out its union that God established through sex. A healthy marriage is a marriage that continues to minister the gospel to each other. There's a, you know, we may not know it, but there's a closeness that's missing when that's not continuing. We're missing something. And you know, some of you could probably go on without it, your married lives and still love each other, get to heaven, it's beautiful, you'll be with Jesus, but there's just, you're missing such a key component of togetherness. Finally, number three, and we're finished. Sex is a threefold witness, right? First, sex was created by God to serve as a living witness to the gospel. Number two, sex was created by God to be the binding witness of marriage. And number three, finally, sexual pleasure was meant to point us to a greater pleasure. Did you know that? Sexual pleasure was meant to point us to a greater pleasure. Don't get so caught up in signs and shadows. Signs point to something greater. Don't get so caught up in the shadow that you miss the beauty of a reality. Are you with me? We were made to find our greatest pleasure in God. Not a relationship, not a sexual encounter, not a pleasurable experience. Please, don't put an impossible task on yourself, your partner, or some fleeting moment. See, some of us, we're putting impossible tasks on ourselves. Do you get what I mean? When pleasure is your ultimate goal and you're not looking to what the pleasure is supposed to be pointing towards, you put an impossible task on your partner. You put an impossible task on yourself. If you live in that way where you are searching for pleasure simply for yourself or searching to please someone else, if you live in that manner, you'll never be satisfied. You know why? You'll always be left wanting, always grasping and never having. Sexual pleasure is not the ultimate. Its goodness is to be enjoyed as a sign that points us to the pleasure that we'll feel when we are with Christ in paradise with the redeemed. Do you know that? Did you know all ple- all pleasures, this pleasure, all earthly pleasures, obviously done within God's um, original design, all earthly pleasures within God's beautiful boundaries, is not meant for you to fall in love with that pleasure. It's meant to point you to something greater. And even the pleasure that we experience in sexual interaction between a husband and wife, that pleasure is meant to point us to the pleasure that we will feel. And please be, a, be mature about this, okay? What I'm saying is that the joy and the unexplainable pleasure that we will feel when we and the redeemed are gathered with Christ in paradise. Isn't that amazing? Do you know every time the married couple gets into bed and has sex, they're not only preaching the gospel, but they're prophesying to one another. Gosh, how beautiful is that? You see why the enemy hates this? You see why sexuality is so attacked? Why gender is so attacked? 
Do you see why? Look, some people say, oh, man, are you bigots or you you hate? I don't hate nobody. Read my Bible. Jesus hate nobody. Here's what I do. Here's what I dislike. I dislike when the enemy tries to take something that was supposed to be a witness to the beauty of the glory of God and pervert it so that it doesn't witness to the beauty of God. And so when we engage outside of God's design or when our culture begins to cheer on and champion sexuality outside of God's design, you know what's happening is they're giving in to the devil's desire to destroy the witness of the glory of God. And when there's no witness, people don't know. When they don't know, they don't see. When they don't see, they go to hell because they lack knowledge. Are you with me? G.K. Chesterton, he's an English writer and poet. He said this, every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. Every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. And that the ultimate pleasure is meant to be felt in God. And if you are in here today and you find yourself in a place of sexual addiction, pornography, or as a single, it's difficult for you to find satisfaction. It's difficult for you. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. You keep finding yourself in a place where you're failing in this area. I want you to know, you know what you're searching for? You're searching for the pleasure of the Lord, and you're trying to find it in other places, and you're never going to be satisfied. I want to finish and pray. I'm going to finish today's message by repeating to you the gospel that we started with. Amen? Here it is. Grace never asks you to go back in time and undo what can't be undone. It calls you to trust Jesus as the one who is what you are not, the one who did what you could not, and the one who will help you become what you could never become. Can we pray? Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, I recognize that I am preaching to a church that lives in a world that is bombarded by a culture. I have no doubt in my mind there are relationships in here that may be struggling, marriages that may be struggling, single adults that may be struggling. The first instinct is to feel judgment. I rebuke the lie of the enemy in this room, the lie of the devil, Satan himself in here, condemning you every step of the way, trying to get you to feel uncomfortable, telling you how much you don't measure up. That's why you shouldn't be here in the first place. I want you to know that that is a lie from the enemy. And we as Christians are taught that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so here's what I want you to do. I want the beauty of the boundaries of the, whole, of the Holy Spirit through the Lord. I want it to minister to you this morning. Let it do what it needs to do inside of you. And if you need to go home and if you need to reflect and if if you need to allow this to sting a little bit, it's a good sting. Paul says we fight the good fight of faith. Paul says it's a good fight. It's a hard fight, but it's a good fight. It's a fight worth having. If you're fighting and you're struggling with your sexuality, here's, can I say something this morning? Can I say something that should be said? There are some of you in here struggling with your sexuality. We didn't even touch that this morning. But I want you to know that it's okay to struggle. Wait, what? It's okay to struggle. I want you to know... Jesus has made room for you to struggle at the cross. We're all struggling at different levels in here. But I want you to know, here's the lie of the enemy. The lie of the devil says, oh, you're homosexual and you can't make it back. And the church hurts you and hates you. 
and it's just time to go all in. Please yourself, please your partner. Worship the creation rather than the creator. Here's what I want to tell you today. Jesus says, no, there's room at the cross for strugglers. I'm crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but it's him who lives through me. Take your flesh, bring it to the cross. We're all crucifying it together in this place. I'm crucifying it. You're crucifying it. Let's struggle together for the glory of the kingdom of God because I don't live for today, but I know that there's something greater that's coming and my life is going to witness to that. Even if it tears me apart, I will witness to it. I will, I will, as long as I live, I may struggle, but I am going to deny my flesh. I'm going to do it. And it's a lie to say, well, you're the only one that has to do it. We're all denying it, baby, you and me, all of us. And if there's any couples in here today, there's twofold. I'm done, I promise you, but I want to say this prayer for twofold. If there's married couples in here today and the bedroom is struggling, I want to pray for you. And here's, can I, can I, could you go this week and plan a date with one another? And could you just sit maybe in a private place and just discuss this? And if you need help with that, I would love to come alongside and help you. But could you just begin to open up this dialogue, pray about it? Can I, can I even challenge couples? Um, something that Jamila and I like to do when there's something I know that's really, man, we really need to talk about, but there, it might be tough to navigate. You know what we do is we fast. And so in the morning we'll wake up, we'll pray together. So let's fast today and then let's come home this evening and let's break the fast together. We'll plan a date around breaking the fast and in that we'll discuss. And you know what I find out? The Lord humbles you during the day. He shows you things. And then you come together and you begin to speak about maybe something that's been causing tension or whatever. But you're just kind of in a humble place because that's what God's been doing the whole day. And I want to, if, if you're single or maybe you're in a relationship and maybe you're a Christian and you have felt like, man, I've crossed the line. I, I, I really want you today to even set up a time to sit with that individual, sit with your relation, with, your, with the person that you're with and say, you know what? What does it look like to be godly in this area? We're godly in a lot of areas. You know, we're going to church, we're serving on teams, we're doing all these other things. But this is an area that the gospel is not, it's not being served well. And I want to be, I want to honor the Lord in this. And, and, and I want to marry and I want to preach the gospel to my husband and my wife only. And I want that forgiveness and that purity. I want you to have that talk. And then if, if, I want you to invite maybe a, a, a mature couple into that conversation with you. A, a man or a woman of God. Just to pray with you, meet with you, hold you accountable. Um, that's beautiful. That is beautiful. What a beautiful way to just kind of recreate this whole thing. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for the husbands and wives of this church. Lord, may our marriages be healthy. Amen. Lord God, may we, may inspire, uh, Lord, may there be, maybe, may unhealthy marriages come in here, Lord, but as they're here, may they, may the power of the Holy Spirit bring life and healthy marriages in this place. May we have healthy families. May we not be afraid to share the gospel with our children. May we not be afraid to have discussions, maybe that weren't happened with us in the name of Jesus. And I pray for the young adults in this house, and I pray for the singles, Lord, and I pray for all, the singles are all across, all over the place. There's some singles that are called to be single for the rest of their life. There are some singles you'll be married. There are some that are in a relationship right now. I pray that the Holy Spirit power would walk through us as we walk through this world. And Lord, may we not listen to the voice of the enemy as it preaches its gospel to us on TV, in the radio, in the music we listen to, the shows that we watch. Lord, but may we be renewed, transformed by the renewing of our minds through your word. Your word is truth. And so we just love you. We bless you. Help us today to have a wonderful, wonderful rest of today, Lord. And we ask a blessing in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. And God bless everybody.
We'll see you next week. Have a wonderful Sunday. I'm not quite sure who I'm going for, but I'll figure it out soon. God bless you guys. <laughs>